You're listening to Why Try, the podcast. The mission of Why Try is to help listeners better understand entrepreneurship and offer insights that anyone can apply in their own lives. If you feel like you've gained something from listening to these episodes, please take five seconds to leave a rating in your podcast app. To find the rating section, go to the Why Try show page and scroll down. And if you're a new listener, welcome. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. My guest this week is Keith Jenke, co-founder of AKS Engineering. Keith has a lot of interesting points about managing and working with people, handling the cyclicality of his business, and some good reflective thoughts on how he was able to create and grow a successful engineering business. So I hope you'll enjoy. AKS Engineering and Forestry is a consulting firm, and we started doing uh, civil engineering and land surveying, and then we've added uh, land use planning and landscape architecture and uh, natural resource work, wetlands work. Yeah, so what kind of customers is that? Landowners, municipalities, industrial owners, basically anybody who owns land or has an interest in land will end up hiring us for something. So it's like anyone who's like developing land? Developing land is part of it. We do a lot of uh, legal descriptions and uh, easements. If somebody wants an easement, then we'll write up the easement and get everything together to get it recorded. So uh, marking property lines, if somebody wants to put up a fence or cut some timber or whatever, they need to know where the property lines are. So we work from, our projects can be anywhere from $300 to millions. What drew you to this particular area of engineering? My grandfather was a civil engineer and he his comment was i remember was just that if you're good at math you should go into some kind of engineering and uh i enjoyed being outside i enjoy uh whatever putting my feet in the dirt and so i was kind of leaning towards civil engineering i went to a uh, a seminar basically that was up in uh, northern wisconsin was on uh, forestry the forestry school sponsored it and kind of different careers in forestry so i learned all different things about forestry i'd been interested in that and they talked about forest engineering there was a guy from iowa that talked about forest engineering and that sounded the most interesting to me and he said well if you're gonna go into forest engineering he goes you go to oregon state because that's the place that you go so that got me going to oregon state oregon state had a program in forest engineering and civil engineering they also had civil engineering a program with both degrees and my mother uh, thought that the uh, dual degree would be good because then I'd never be living in the basement at home again, I think is what she was thinking. But she figured I'd always be employed if I had that civil engineering degree because there's always a need for civil engineers. Are you one of the like founding members of the company? Am I remembering that? I right? am, yes. Worked with uh, Studster Engineering for six years. And then kind of it got to the point where it was time to, to move on to do things you know differently. So there were uh, myself and two other guys that decided to form AKS and we had I think six people to start us and three others. What made you want to have your own company? I guess just to do things our, our own way differently. Yeah so how old were you when you started the company? And how about like, the people you were working with what made them like good partners for you? Uh, that's, a, that, that's a darn good question. They were guys I knew from college, my drinking buddies from Polling Hall at Oregon State and so they came on with Stunstner and then we all left together and then of course it worked out for a while, and then uh, probably picking your drinking buddies from college is not the best way to pick your uh, your business partners. And there was when your business partners, you got to have the same vision for the company. And uh, one of the partners kind of had a much smaller vision, and the other one was just too much of a spender and uh, would have dragged. Uh, well, he would have dragged the company down if I hadn't departnered him. I was the uh, the main partner 
starting it and moving it forward and brought all the money in to get it started and everything or most all the money and everything so i was in more control to make those decisions sure so how do you even start an engineering company you mentioned like putting money into it did it take i mean i can't imagine it's like that capital intensive of a company it is uh not capital intensive because you're not buying materials and you're not buying you know million dollar machines but you are i mean there's all the uh you know, computers and software and all the the stuff to run an office. And then where the real capital is, is in your uh, accounts receivable and that you work, you bill every month, you get to the end of the month, takes a couple of weeks to bill it, then you send it out, then they pay you maybe in a month or two months or three months or longer, depending on who it is. So the investment is and all the money you need to keep your cash flow going while you're waiting for people to pay you. That's that's in the engineering business. I mean, if you're averaging, you know, 70 days, then you're doing well. And when you're first starting out, oftentimes you get clients that know you're starting out and they know that you're not as savvy as uh, others and they'll whatever, string you along and take advantage of you. Is, is that what happened for you guys? Is that where some, some clients definitely that did. And you gotta, you gotta learn. And my father was a machinist for United. He was even, he was mechanic of the year when I was a kid, even he was good at what he did. Uh, but he was a nice guy. And if there was ever anything that was gonna cause conflict or whatever, he just avoided it. We did not, I just never saw he lived his life simply to avoid conflict. Well, when you own a business, you cannot avoid conflict. There is conflict you know, here and there and how you deal with conflict, that's kind of one of the keys. So it was quite a learning process that not everybody's nice. There are people that, that part of how they do business is take advantage of others and you just want to make sure that you're not one of those people. So you got to assert your rights. You got to be on top of things. I've gotten, uh, I guess, far less empathetic to, to clients, you know, we'll work with them and things, but if you hire us, you need to pay us. That's just the thing. And you can't string us out and it's not, you can't tell us that you'll pay us when your loan comes through and then the loan doesn't come through and then, then there's issues. Yeah, you just kind of get worn thin on that after a while. Yes, yeah. and there's a, a building process as you go to, uh, you just don't work for those people and you keep the clients that do pay you on time and it's just a building process and learning process then and I'm, if you don't pay us, it's, I just tell people it's our <coughs> policy that if you don't pay, we're going to either... Uh, lien your property or we'll sue you and if you want to not pay us then you have to go bankrupt then that's basically what i tell people it's just the way it is I'm, we'll work with them and do a promissory note and trustee or whatever we need to be secured in in what we're owed and that's part of it and that part always becomes more important when the economy starts turning is it like a pretty cyclical business because it's tied to construction it it is uh cyclical tied to construction tied to home construction in, in ways, but there's other parts of it that aren't. One of our first big customers was Willamette Industries, and we had done a lot of survey work for them. The three partners had done a lot of survey work for them with our previous firm, and so we had a good relationship with them, and we did a lot of woods survey work, marking cutting lines, things like that, which is fun work. And then we just kind of picked up small developers doing small projects because nobody really comes to you with a big project when they don't know you very well. So you start out with small projects and then you'll work your way up to larger projects. And we have some clients like Esslingers that we've been working with almost since we started. Yeah, I mean, generally you, you work your way up to larger larger clients as you go and giving you larger jobs. Yeah, is that how you're... So who were your first few clients with that? I can think of Ron Lolich. 
he was a, a small developer and he had been working with somebody else and he was tired they were they weren't working on his stuff fast enough and he i remember he, he just showed up with some files he went to their office and he said i want my files and then he brought them to our office and said here's some jobs i need you to work on these boy some other early ones maybe started work, working with renaissance homes pretty early on uh, i know we did a big job for us what was a big job it was a subdivision in a uh an airport subdivision in Independence where they were runways in the back instead of alleys. That was kind of an interesting project, one of our first larger projects. Yeah, just early projects and of course the way you get work in our business is you have to do good quality work because when it comes time to build it and things, then uh, there'll be changes and uh, the clients know it and the contractors know it if the work's not good. and. Are you liable? Sometimes. With us, one of the key things that AKS does that other firms don't or that we've experienced that other firms don't is when we somebody comes to us with the property and they want to know what I can do with this because they're in the process of buying it and they get in their due diligence period. And so we need to look at that property and do the initial analysis of it to find out what they're going to get out of it, what, what they're looking for. They're usually it's uh, developable square feet. If it's an industrial site or commercial site or number of lots and the, and the configurations of the lots. And so we do preliminary work that is affected by the uh, land use planning rules. And there'll be uh, constraints also from uh, resource things, creeks and buffers and different things that make it you know more tricky. And then we'll come up with an initial plan that'll show what they'll get when your client comes back is when that initial plan kind of matches what they end up with at the end. They'll come to you with the next one because that's not always the case. And then I think we touched on like the like the downturn from like 08 to 2010. So like how yeah. did you guys deal with that? That really sucked. It was horrible. I can say I always say that uh, if I had if engineering was like that every year, I'd have become a dentist because it yeah it was bad. In a consulting firm, you do what people hire you to do, so the work comes in the door. So we don't we don't have work that we make for ourselves. Not like a power company or a timber company or something where you have work that needs to be done. We just do what people pay us. So when people don't want you to, aren't there to pay you to do something, you have nothing to do. So you have to lay people off, which sucks because you're hiring people and training people and doing all this. And I always uh, compare the uh, engineering business to a three-legged chair. And there's municipal work, residential work, and commercial industrial. And we knew the residential work was going to slow down because that's cyclical and it goes, goes up and down. And we were already working on building our municipal work, but the industrial commercial work that stopped as well as residential when the bank crisis happened the home home building slowed down then about eight or ten months later they had the bank crisis and then banks would not loan money they would not people who had loans they wouldn't let any more out i mean i remember talking to the bankers and they had no idea what was happening they were clueless the markets were changing so fast they had no idea and they just stopped and that really killed things for at least a year i mean just dead yeah, all those work on the books and then nothing happening so then you go back to your municipal work your small work with uh, you know people putting in the fence or this or that and you have to cut your staff to match your workload and so it's very depressing at the office and everybody knows that people are going to be laid off and stuff and so you try to minimize uh the layoffs it's not like every friday you're going to come in and lay you know a couple more people off because that just really makes a horrible work environment and we kind of made our decisions on who was going to make it through the downturn laid everybody else off and then hunkered down and didn't make any money but stayed in business how did you decide who would get a stay 
Well, it's who's uh, most valuable to the company. So what makes valuable? The more different, uh, I mean, the rarity of the talent and the amount of the talent and, and what we needed to have done, the skills that we needed. I mean, management skills and people who can see more of the big picture, get things done efficiently, can work in the office, field guys that can work in the office. Yeah, it's a, it's a number of things and it's you, you get together and you go down the list and you see and you pick who, who we uh, you know can't afford to lose. And some people that are new, they're just, they're not trained up enough, so they're gonna go anyway. So yeah, it was a lot of hard decisions and I don't mind uh, firing people. There's usually reasons they're not performing. Uh, up to what we want or or whatever they could have uh, any number of issues causing that but you know that's just kind of this is the right fit for you you need to go someplace where you are the right fit everybody will be happier then and I don't have problems with that but when you have somebody that you're laying off that has uh, done everything you asked and done it well and you have to say hey as the owner it's my job to get work and I don't have any work for you so I didn't do my job but you're getting laid off and that sucks that sucks. That's, yeah. That's the worst. I'm hoping that won't happen again for a while or I'll be retired before that happens again. Is retirement something that you'd want to do in like the next like five to 10 years? Yes. So yeah, no, uh, retirement is always better thing. You know, you work to uh, get to a point. I have other things that I'd like to do yeah. too. Do you want to talk about those? Yeah, fishing. Brewing beer, traveling, visiting relatives and other places around the country. A lot of traveling because with this, our business running an engineering business is time intensive. You know, anytime you're gone, you have to do the work ahead of time. You're working during your vacation. You got more work to do when you get back. So it's certainly not ideal for goofing off or anything. And 10 days is my longest, you know, being gone six work days even is the longest I've been off in probably 20 years. So no trips to Europe or anything like that. Uh, I mean, you could, but then you're putting a lot of pressure on everybody else. And it's more of, you know, what's fair to everybody else and my other partners and stuff. So I have friends who are like nurses and stuff, and when they leave, they're done. Somebody else is there doing their job. I mean, if you were to start the company over today, is there anything you do differently? Well, I mean, my first partners didn't work out. Of course, there was some economy things and stuff going on there, but that could have launched it faster to where it was going. But you know, everything works out and you're always taking calculated risks of what you think are the right things to do and hiring the right people. And there's probably ways we could have gotten here faster, but I mean, we did the best we could. Yeah. So it doesn't sound like you really have any like regrets or anything. No. Is there anything that's like surprised you since starting in a business? No. Sometimes I think at first, you know, growing up definitely middle class or whatever, lower middle class and, and not not wealthy and I used to think that wealthy people were really smart but that's not necessarily the case I think yeah there's so much about making money that's a different skill set than necessarily being smart yeah so that so that was kind of one thing that kind of surprised me but people want to be led I think that's that's in anything if if you're providing a good path and you're making decisions that are mostly right people will follow you what do you feel like the hardest part of your business is Dealing with with people and trying to keep people uh, motivated and and happy and keeping the one the right ones here because people have all kinds of issues and and then uh, you know we're trying to get stuff done at work here and some people bring more issues with them to work than they should or whatever in my opinion which is uh, people handle things differently some people when 
their personal life is is all in disarray then they just kind of go to pieces and their work life goes to disarray as well and i always thought that was really odd because it's like huh i have no control you don't have control over your personal life most of the time you have some control but not as much other people control it more but at work you literally have control over it that you can do a good job and you can move yourself forward all based on what you do or largely so it seems to me that if your personal life is all a disarray you should be doing better at work but different people do things different ways so it's definitely a hard to compartmentalize for some people yeah yeah it's just different and and that stuff you know you learn especially when you're younger i was thinking most everybody thought like i did and then over time you learn that some people feel very differently about things and so then you just have to uh i mean the goal is to keep you know people happy and interested in what they're doing and moving forward and so you gotta for different people that's there's different ways of doing that is there anything that you found works particularly well like any like tips that you you could share just have to find out what what's important to people and then try to find out if you can give that to them different people have different things that are important and it is all uh I mean, it's, it's, it's individuals and individuals are different. Uh, one thing is, I remember when I was first starting out and I was working down at Coos Bay and something was coming up and, uh, it turned, you know, my boss didn't know how much I was making. And I was like, I was just shocked that he didn't know how, I was like, don't you know all that? Now I know how you don't know how much somebody's making because there's a lot going on and that's not that important of a, of a thing. One thing is, is that when dealing with individuals, you need to, uh, with pay and bonuses and benefits and everything that you need to be aware of what those are and in reviews and stuff when promises are made or whatever when things are said then you have to keep track of those and make sure all those things happen exactly as you said because people will remember those and it's sometimes it's hard for you to remember but you have to keep track of those and make sure that all those things happen that's very important to people make sure all that stuff is right one thing that always stuck with me as far as a company and you want to have the people at your company want the company and want you to do well and you have got to be fair with them with everything and and that's part of what i was talking about there uh whenever you can do something for them they need time off to do something or whatever you need to work with them all you can and you, you want them to be happy and want to work hard for you and one of the things uh my father when i was a kid he was a machinist for united and we worked, he worked out of O'Hare in Chicago, and that was their main hub. And so they had other uh, smaller airports where they didn't have uh, the maintenance people there. And at times he'd fly and he'd work at those different places to help him out, which took him away from the family and stuff and was kind of a pain for my mom and everything. But, you know, he was wanted to, you know, do a good job, work for the company and stuff. And there was one time when he was flying back late. He hadn't finished up or they couldn't get something finished till late. And there was only one restaurant open at the airport. Well, his per diem was like 10 bucks and the cheapest meal on the thing was 12 bucks or whatever. So he ended up with a $15 bill and he expensed it. And his, uh, the management said, uh, we can't pay you for over that, your per diem minimum. And uh, he, he basically said, oh, that's fine. Don't ever send me anywhere any, again. And you just never want to give somebody a reason to feel like that. That was one of the things is, to me, you need to bend over when people do extra, then you got to bend over, make sure you do extra for them and don't ding them even something stupid like that. Because, I mean, he was willing to go and do everything for him and over a few bucks that he felt he got screwed on, 
five bucks. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much it was. It was. Yeah, I mean, like, what's it going to be like a hundred dollars? Like to buy, like for someone's loyalty, a hundred bucks. Like, isn't yeah, that insanely yeah. that's, cheap? That's a whole thing, yeah. and so that's always kept up because sometimes it's just easier it's just easier to do it like this because there's a lot going on but you need to go the extra mile to be fair with all your people i think that's important uh you want to do right by them and these things are important to them and i i think it all pays off when that guy is out there working and he goes i have an extra hour and i need to be here but it's more efficient to get this done and i just there's so much we owe so much to all the people doing the work that we need to do everything we can you're really people oriented yeah, it has. This is a people-oriented business. Uh, that's one of the differences. My brother-in-law he owns a farm, family farm, and stuff. So he owns all the farm equipment. He owns all the land, and other people work for him. Well, here the means of production walk in and out every day. So we have to uh, work and maintain those relationships, and it's a different level of need. I mean, it's always good to be really good with your people, but I think it's even more when I mean. The people are the means of production here. Knowledge business. Yeah. What does like success look like for you personally? What is success for me personally? Great question. I guess as a person of German descent from the Midwest, raised Lutheran, Missouri Synod, conservative synod. They have mostly uh, Scandinavian synods out here. Those are way more liberal than there. But um, and probably from what I've seen growing up is that there's a lot of duty related stuff. You have duties. I look at it that you owe duties to people. You owe duties to your parents. You owe duties to your siblings. You owe duties, you know, once you have children and stuff, you owe duties to them. You owe duties to your your spouse. And it's not all about you or what you want. You know, that everything works better when you look at life as duties. And you get that range of whatever up until you're 15 or whatever, where you can think you're the main person there but at some point you realize that hey there's a lot of other stuff going on it's not just all about me and i need to fit in to make everybody else happier and and do that so i guess i look at things as duties i have duties here here to aks and to my partners and the people that work here and my family and everything else and so i guess for me success is uh, meeting my obligations of my duties you know you mix that in with you know when you're single or whatever and uh or married with no kids, you can do more of what you want in your off time. And then when you have kids, you pretty much do what your kids are doing. Yeah. Do you have kids? Have kids, 16 and 13. So yeah, they're very busy and we do whatever. I go to soccer games and church things and music. Do you think either of them would end up owning their own business? Uh, good question. I tell them to, uh, if you're going to be an engineer, work for utility because they make more than other engineers and they have a boat they'll be using it on the weekend why utility what's the deal with utilities uh utilities usually they're set up uh they're monopoly for one thing and so they negotiate with the state on what the rates are and stuff and the rates are based on what their costs are and your uh, salary is part of the cost if you have a higher salary then their profit will be higher so what i had seen is that you know they might make 10 or 15 percent more than engineers in other places seem to be but they're and when you deal with, I mean, utilities, nobody tells them what to do. They tell you what to do, too. It's, and they work from, you know, they work 40, and that's what it is. Being a monopoly is a pretty good place to be, I guess. Yeah, you just got to keep the state happy. 
because they're the ones that let you be the monopoly. Or medicine's a growing field as well and uh, won't have as many uh, you know downturns or whatever. Our, our business is more cyclical, which of course re requires more management, up and down and decisions and, and things to position yourself because I mean, that's what in the downturn, you're positioning yourself to stay alive and then you're positioning yourself for coming out of the downturn as more work is available and then how you're going to grow from there. So with the, the cyclical stuff makes management more important. If it was just a steady thing, you could do it with less management because you wouldn't be managing this change all the time. I mean, it seems like you've recommended like engineering or engineering to them. Well, engineering or, or anything in the medical field, I mean, whatever they want to do as long as, you know, it's not going to be European dance or something like that. I mean, they have to have something that they can make a living at. They can do whatever they want. I might not pay for it. Okay. <laughs> They're not going to take European dance on my dime at some college. They can take European dance and get their master's in it after they get something useful in the first four. You want them to be able to take care of themselves, it seems like. Yes, I don't want them living in my basement, just like my mom <laughs> didn't want me living in her basement. Well, I mean, that's fair. Has this experience changed the way you look at money at all? I'd say yes. I mean, it pretty much has to. And as you, uh, I mean, growing up, that's what looking back on it, you know, money was always tight growing up, and it, it limited things we could do and things I could do at the time. And my folks, you know, we did things together and went camping. We, we, we did things, and they did what they could. But it was always uh, whatever, an issue. And they, my parents weren't the greatest money managers. Not that they were bad money managers, but they weren't the greatest. So uh, I think I looked at that, and I said, I am going to manage my life so that money is never an issue because I saw what kind of stress it could cause. And so that was just kind of how I started out. You know, I drove my $500 Nissan pickup until I could buy a car for cash coming out of school. The most expensive thing I owned, I owed my roommate for the for the rig. And most expensive thing I owned when I graduated from college was my calculator. For Christmas, before college graduation, my folks bought me a suit, the interview suit, so I could get a job and not live in their basement. So yeah, then it's always, you know, planning and saving into your retirement account. And then you start a business because when you, you're working for a salary, that's kind of one thing. And when you work, when you have a business, then things are going to fluctuate. People don't pay regularly on time. So you always got to have a lot of money in your account if you're the owner in case people aren't paying or whatever. Then you got to have money available to keep the, uh, the company going. And that's part of where, you know, the money you have invested in it pretty much that same way. So you just get used to having more money that's just whatever flex money that you just need to have in case something goes wrong. That as a company becomes more successful that you're just used to dealing with larger amounts of money than what you were before. That of course when you start getting near to retiring, it's like, well, how much money is enough, you know, to retire? And I mean the benefits of having more money is that uh, you know you can help people out when they need it and family members and different things like that which is kind of funny because uh you know we're debbie and i were the richest you know couple or whatever in my family but we're the poorest in her family <laughs> so there's quite a divide luckily they don't need anything ever you know it, it provides you the option to where you can help people and stuff and that's part of you know having the money and does, how do you relate that like to happiness uh happiness is meeting all your obligations I don't know, money doesn't, uh, you know, it can, it can get you things that can make you happy by helping other people out, by doing that. By, my kids don't have to worry about having money to go to college. You know, I'm not worried about making a mortgage payment. You know, ha not having to worry about some things. That's what 
brings the happiness you don't have to worry about things you can touch on um a few of the other just kind of like tangentially so i'm just kind of skipping forward here okay so like last couple questions so if you had like if you could go back and give yourself like an extra hour a day in your you know 20s or 30s i said i'd work out and half an hour and i'd sleep an extra half hour it's amazing no one has answered that with i'd work more (laughs) (laughs) well you work enough and that's you know, it's been 50, 60 hour weeks for 20 some years and they add up. And not only uh, that, I mean, my partners are like that too, but I mean, I've about made my first real estate investment in 1990. So I've been doing, I mean, I'd survey and work on those in my free time and stuff. And so there's been between work and the real estate investments, but you know, a huge amount of time just a lot of time. Yeah, I mean, you gotta enjoy doing it and stuff, but it does, uh, you know, there's other things I like to do too. And so that gets, you know, that's always the thing. Do you wanna you know, work 40 hours and make less, work for the utility company or have a business? I was always driven towards the challenges of a business. That's sort of the challenge of getting two degrees instead of just one. I was always into challenging myself and a business was another challenge and getting it together and trying to, you know, make it work. and. And of course, what drives that is that sometimes failure is not an option. And if you think failure is an option, then you might fail. But it is always about with the business and with everything, failure is not an option. It has to work. You have to figure out how to make it work. And uh, to have a successful business, to me, that's one of the things. Failure is not an option. You have to make it work. In terms of people deciding, you know, like trying to figure out what category they belong in, I mean, probably a lot of people my age, like this is something they would think about. Working, you know, like kind of a safe steady job versus starting a business like do you have any advice like how they can frame that in their mind (laughs) wrap their head around it well i mean that's like i said with the i mean if you work for the utility your boat will be smaller but you'll be using it every weekend you've got your own business you might have a bigger boat but you're gonna be busy with things and but with business there's a lot that goes along with it even outside of business and you've been to our tailgates and stuff and and things and there's social things wrapped into business and everything kind of runs together and you know i started the business with my drinking buddies from college so it was all you know kind of a social thing to start with there too so you, you can't compartmentalize it all like that's one thing if you're yeah if you're i mean it, business. It, it, it overlaps and and guys that are big business guys everything they do will revert back they play golf at the thing they're playing with people they work with other people they could work with all their social stuff and everything is somehow wraps back to work which to me works good for everything except church church and business to me are completely separate it's like to me whatever business and church to be together is distasteful i just some people you know that's part of their deal and they sell insurance and do whatever but to me church and business are separate if you're in the elks club or the eagles or whatever different social things those things are all kind of made for that kind of stuff to uh to meet more people and have a bigger the the lions club and those those kind of things those huge networking things for local and then i mean we do that in engineering would be with 
you know, there's different groups of the commercial builders have a group and the engineers have a group. So there's a lot of networking and stuff that goes on there or APWA with public engineers. So there's a lot of tons of networking that goes on with things like that. And that's all part of it. And in business, the uh, people want to do business with people they like. You know, they want to feel good about calling you and doing it. And of course, you got to do a good job and everything. And so you work, you know, to have a relationship. You want people to call you. And the way I always put it (coughs) to with in reviews or whatever, talking with people is you want to make your boss's life easier. You want to get your work done. You don't want him to have to redline it up and, and, and fix it all. And, 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 you know, as you start and do a small part of the project, then you work and you're doing a bigger part and a bigger part. And then what happens is the, uh, the client calls your boss and asks him some questions and he goes, well, let me get back to you. Cause he's got to talk to you to find out what's going on. And eventually what'll happen is the client will skip the boss and start calling you directly. And that's like, well, you know you've arrived when people start calling you to find out what's going on instead of your supervisor. And and really in almost anything, if you, with uh, relationship girlfriends, with whatever, if you make their life easier, if you make their life better, they're going to want you around. And that, with our clients, that's our job is to make their life easier, better. Take care of their problems for them. That's what we're doing. We are solving problems for people. That's what we do. That's the fun part of it, fun part of our job. That's what, as an engineer's we like to solve problems. And now I solve personnel problems. and I've, I've kind of worked myself out of engineering work and I handle all the management stuff, but that's my problem. And then I guess my last question would be, do you have a, any books that you'd recommend for people? I'm always reading something that just goes really slow. It was a short book and it was called Salt. And it was all about the history of salt. And it was fascinating. There's also one in the same vein called Coal, about the history of coal. I'd recommend both of those. Just, of course, that's kind of engineering mind uh, <laughs> type stuff. James Michener, like, with this whole story of what it is and back to salting cod and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, those are great. I, I think I've actually heard of the salt one. Everyone I've heard about it from is just like, they love it. Yeah. It was great. Just things you don't think about and interesting history of stuff. Sweet. Oh, thanks so much for taking the time. I, yeah. I like talking. No, it's introspective. Good questions. Before we wrap up, I want to point out something that's come up in a few interviews, which is that it's not always safer to have a job than it is to be an entrepreneur. Nick Loper, Todd Alsorf, and now Keith, just to name a few recent ones, all have a personal story demonstrating that a bad economy can really impact anyone in the company, not just the leaders. And then the other side of it is that if you want to be successful, you as a leader need to take good care of your people. I think Keith, as someone running a knowledge business, has a great attitude when it comes to this. I was struck by the story of how his dad for years would regularly travel to do maintenance work, but stopped after his company essentially demonstrated that his efforts were worth less to them than an extra meal per diem. So the lesson I take, and I think that Keith has already taken away, is that it really takes active focus and consideration on behalf of a manager to earn their team's loyalty. Music for this podcast is by Cambrian Explosion, who on weekends ride hippogriffs into battle against the undead scourge. They also play shows, so follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Cambrian Explosion. You can buy albums and listen to their music on Apple iTunes and cepdx.bandcamp.com or just listen on Spotify. If you like this conversation and want to hear more like it, make sure you are subscribed in your podcast app. You can find all the episodes at nicholaspeel.com and on Apple Podcasts under Why Try. For more updates, you can check out the Why Try Facebook page at facebook.com slash Podcast. Thanks for listening.